Well, again, good morning, everybody. We are going through the book of Genesis, as I said earlier, and today we're still journeying through Genesis, looking at the story of Abram. And if you've been with us from the beginning, you've seen that in the book of Genesis, we see this story of God, sort of like chapter one, those first 11 chapters, where we see there was this relationship with God that he established. But because of man's sins, because of man's desire to be their own God, right? There was this essential relationship that was broken. And as a result, all of the subsequent relationships of man are broken. The relationships within our marriages, our families, our friendships, our communities, and, and eventually throughout the world. But what we also see in this story is that God is at work restoring this relationship between God and man. And as we've been looking at the story of Abram, we see how God is partnering with this man how we see God teaching Abram how to walk with God and how God calls him and invites him into partnering with God and his recreative, renovating work that he's doing in the world to reestablish this relationship with God. And so today we're looking at chapter 15 where we encounter Abram. Last week, Pastor Nick was here and shared with us that God makes this promise to Abram to make him great, his name, his descendants, great. But we see going forth from that point, Abram suffers from these obstacles, these things that stand in the way of him actually following after God wholeheartedly. And that's fear. One of the things that gets in our way is our own fear of, of what stands before us and what God is asking us to do and being uncertain of those things. Abram is, is, is a man. He's not a supernatural being. He's a human being who suffers the same maladies that we do. And that one of those is fear. And then coming forth from last week's story, we would expect that everything would go fine then in Abram's life, that there's no more fear, there's no more uncertainty in his life. But we'll, if you paid attention to that reading, you'll see that that's not quite the case. Because we see Abraham dealing with this next obstacle, an obstacle that I deal with. Maybe it's an obstacle that you have dealt with and are still dealing with. And that's the obstacle of doubt. This idea of doubt is, is described this way in this definition. It's uncertainty or lack of conviction to think that something may not be true or certain. Think of it like this. It's like having a foot in both camps, right? It's like you've got a foot here that this may be true, or you've got a foot here and this might be true, and you're just not sure which way to go. You're just not sure what is true. And that's really okay to have doubts. We see it in Abram's life. We see it all throughout Scripture. I've seen it in my own life, and maybe you've seen it in your own life. I've seen over and over again people asking the question and being reluctant to ask the question or, or, or say, I'm not so sure I believe that. And that's okay. I've sat in classes with, with students and I've heard them say, well, my dad says, no, it's not okay to doubt. We don't ask questions in this family. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But that's not always the case. And right here, in one of the heroes of the faith, we see a man doubting. And, and, and rightfully so, he's questioning. And, and it makes sense, right? I mean, when I left my other job and came to work here for the church, my wife asked me, what makes you think you can do this? And that was a good question. 
right? Maybe some of you are saying now, what, what was he thinking? And what were we thinking? It's a good question. What's wrong with staying here is staying here and not asking the question. Because eventually, what will happen, if you don't address the question, you'll finally walk away from or shrink away from finding the answer to that question. See, following after God, following after his mission in your life is going to require you to ask questions. Because the things he's going to ask you to do, it's going to take courage. It's going to take faith. And, and so how do you, how do you, how is your faith strengthened? Where do you get this faith from so that you can actually follow after him? Well, you do so by seeking after him by seeking to understand him better, which is what this book is about. It's teaching us about God. This story is revealing and giving us a better sense of who God is, his character and his nature, so that we can know who to trust, who to follow. And so doubt is okay. It's just not okay to stay there. It's not healthy to stay there. Because we'll either get better at following God or we'll get better at making excuses. We'll get better at one of those two things. If we, if we don't address the question, we'll just get better at making excuses. But, but if we address the question and, and seek to follow him and take a step, we'll, we'll actually get better at following him. I mean, he'll actually produce faith and strengthen our faith as we do. And I think we'll see that in the life of Abram. In fact, as we look at his story, I want to look at these three things. I want to look at Abram's doubt and, and, and try to understand his doubt, but also not only understand his doubt, but what does he do with it? And then secondly, what's God's response? Right? I mean, what, what would you think God's response would be if, if, you, if you came to him and told him you doubted whether or not the flood was really a worldwide flood or maybe it was just regional? I mean, what do we do with that? Can we do something with that? And, and then what happens to Abram's faith as a result of God's response? That's what we want to explore this morning. Hopefully that will help us. If you've been wrestling with doubts, if you've ever had doubts, if you're wrestling with them right now, I pray that God would address those doubts this morning. So as we begin that, I ask if you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to your word. We thank you for revealing yourself, and we thank you for giving us the, the mental capacity to comprehend you, to not, maybe not fully comprehend, but to apprehend your goodness and, and your love. Father, we ask you this morning to reveal more of your nature, more of your character to us. We ask that by the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's dive in to chapter 15. We see God appearing to Abram in this dream, in this vision. And it says, after these words came, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a dream. And so what are these things? What are the things that he's talking about? Well, it's what precedes this chapter. Remember, two, last week, Abram went to Egypt, right? He was afraid, and so he kind of lied about who his wife was. And, and God brought him out of the land, actually better than he was in the land, but now he's back in the land, and him and his nephew Lot have grown prosperous, and, and so prosperous that they, they, they decide to actually 
divide the land, and, and not because there's animosity between them, but because there's so much flourishing between them. They, they need to sort of separate, and so they do. But as a result of that, there's a battle, and what happens is Lot gets taken captive by one of the kings. And when Abram hears about it, he actually marshals a small band of people together, asks some other guys to bring their guys, and so they go off after Lot. And they catch up with the king of Sodom, and they actually get Lot back and all the possessions, and then come back with Lot and all the possessions. And they're met by this priest called Melchizedek. And Melchizedek comes out to them and tells Abram that it is the Lord Most High that delivered them into your hands. Lest you think you did that on your own, it was the Lord Most High who delivered Sodom into your hands. And so it was after all of that, after these things, God comes to Abram and says, do not be afraid, for I am your shield. And your reward with me is very great. To which this is what Abram says. But wait a minute. I don't have a son. I don't have a child. I, I know you've promised me this, and so I'm, I'm a bit uncertain. Is it going to be one of my children, or is it going to be an heir? Is it going to be my, my, my head servant? Is Eliezer, is it going to be him? Because, and then this is a good question, right? Because Abram's like 75, a little north of 75, and it, it's a good question, right? I have no children. What are my prospects? Is it going to, it's a good question. And, and God's reply to this doubt is, is amazing. God says to him, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and says, No, 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 not this man, but a son of your own will be your offspring. He will be your heir. Does God reprimand him for, for doubting? Does God reprimand him for being uncertain? Because he's already told him once, right? I told you once. No, he doesn't do that. Right? What does Abram do with his doubt? He goes to God. Right? He goes to God and says, I'm a bit uncertain about how this is going to turn on. And what does God say? He reassures him. He tells him what he's already told him before. Right? He says, no, no, no. What I told you before still stands. This will still happen. And it will happen this way. It will be your son. Even though you're north of 75. And as we'll come to find out, he'll be a little north of that when God fulfills that promise. But then what happens to Abram's faith as a result of that? It says that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed what God said would happen would come true. God said that, no, you will have a son, and Abram believed him, took him at his word, is what that really means. When we look at that word, believed, it's like Abraham trusted God. He took him at his word, and it was credited to him. It was according to God's word. He said, I believe it. And not only did he do it up here, but he did it in here. And this word here means more than just a mental ascent. There's, there's an active nature to this word. Actually, he then lived accordingly. He then walked accordingly with God, believing God could do what God said he could do that he couldn't fathom. 
God could do that. So my question is asking you this, is, is that blind faith? Because he's yet to see a child. Is that blind faith of Abram? I would argue no, it's not. I mean, he's told by Melchizedek that it is the Lord Most High that has delivered these men into your hands. It was the Lord that appeared to him and, and called him out of Ur, right, to show him this land. And God was faithful and he walked with him and he showed him this land. Things didn't go exactly the way Abram wanted them to go, but God was still with him. God hadn't abandoned him. I would also say that remember the line of Abram. He's a descendant of Shem, a, a son of Noah. I have to think that that story of Noah and what God did through Noah and what Noah responded to God had to have been told over and over again through that line. That, that Abram had to have been familiar with the story of Noah, of what God accomplished and what God did and what God promised. While he may have come out of a pagan society and there may have been other gods, he had to have heard this story and had to have known the character and nature of this God. And now this God, the same God that, that brought Noah out of the flood is now calling Abram. So his faith isn't quite blind, is it? There's some reason to trust this God. And so we see Abraham trust this God and, and says, believed in him. And that's what was credited to Abram, his faith, the fact that he believed God. And as a result, it was declared righteous. Now here in this, here this word, we've talked about it before, there's a relationship in this word, this right relationship. And so he was declared to have this right relationship with God, not just him, but his descendants. This was not just a promise for him, but a promise for him and his descendants. That would be the blessing for Abram's faith. But it was the faith that God first produced in Abram. And so here God is strengthening Abram's faith. And so what do you think happens next? You remember from the reading? Everything's good, he's strong, no more doubts. Right? No. This is what happens next. God says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Chaldeans to the land that you will possess. But see, he doesn't possess the land yet. Remember, there's all these other kings, there's all these other powers that inhabit the land, and he's just witnessed all that. And, 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 but yet God says, I'm, that promise is still valid. I'm going to give you all this land. To which Abram says, yeah, how's that going to happen? Abram still is questioning. He's still uncertain. He still has doubts. Because he's seen with his own eyes the challenge before him. How, Lord, how is this going to happen? Again, what does he do? He goes to God and asks him this question. What, what do we learn here about our doubts? That we too can go to God with our doubts, with our questions, with our uncertainties. We can, we can come to him in prayer as he calls us to. We can seek him in his word as he implores us to. 
we can seek the counsel of our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and, and seek after God's answers and, and try to get the questions answered, not just live in the doubt or, or be ashamed that I might not know something and you guys think I know everything. What do we do with our doubts? We take them to God. You can take your doubts. You don't need to be ashamed that you waffle in a particular area or that you're just still kind of uncertain whether God truly loves you as we say, as God's word keeps saying. We can take that to him. And as we see here in the story, he's faithful. But his reply to Abram is a bit strange. It's not something I think we understand so 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 well because it's an ancient custom it's an ancient culture where God says to Abram go collect these animals and bring them here and and we're told that he does he goes and gets them but then he cuts them in half and lays them out in this like aisle forming this aisle with halves of these animals on both sides kind of a bloody gory scene like what is what is God saying here and, and then he goes on to tell him that this land that he's going to give him, this land that he still promises to give him, isn't going to be his. He's not going to see it, but his descendants will see it. Remember back in chapter 12, he said, I will give your descendants, your ancestor, or your descendants this land. Your offspring will inherit this land. And here again, he's reaffirming the promise he made in chapter 12 that yes, he's going to keep his promise. Your descendants will still be in this land, but it's going to be a while. And that promise is really for those children of, of Moses, that Moses will lead out of captivity in Egypt after those 400 years. But then he says to him, and this will happen when everything has come to be as it should be. And then later it says, when the sun set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, and then to all those other places that Zach read earlier. I don't want to... <laughs> right? What is, what, what is God up to here in this story? What, what is this ceremony that's going on? Well, we get a bit of a sense of it in Jeremiah chapter 34. God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. This is an ancient ceremony where, to order to seal a promise, in order to like create an oath, God is making a promise to Abram that he will do exactly what he said he would do, that he would give this land to his offspring. And, and God is marking that promise. He's sealing that promise with this oath. This ceremony is the seal of that. You know, when you were younger, you used to say things like, you know, like, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, right? Or you see people like spit in their hands, which is gross, you know, and they, they shake hands like that. Or, you know, you saw in the movies, they cut their hands and shake hands like this blood pack, right? This is kind of that kind of ceremony. This is something where they're saying, we, this is serious. 
so, so much serious that really what they're saying is when they walk between these pieces, they're saying, if I don't hold up my end, you can do to me what we did to these pieces. That's a pretty serious promise. But it seems kind of strange coming from God, doesn't it? It seems rather strange. Because how is it that God wouldn't keep up his end of the word, right? I mean, you can see God walking between these promises, which is or these, between these pieces, because that's what we see, this fire, pot, and torch representing God as he is going between these pieces. So is God saying, if I don't keep up my end, you can do to me what we did to these pieces. But really, we know God's going to keep up his end. He always does. And that's the seriousness of this commitment that he's making to Abram. He's, I will keep up my end. But the thing about it is that what happens, what, what is kind of puzzling is that Abram never walks between the pieces. Do you notice that? It's only God that walks between the pieces. And, and so what's happening here? Well, there's one school of thought that says what's happening here is God is saying something to Abram by not asking him to walk between the pieces. It's possible he's saying to Abram, and Abram, if you don't keep up your end, you can do to me what we did to these pieces. And then where do we see God keeping that promise? We see it on the cross, don't we? We see it in the person of Jesus Christ. That God is fulfilling his promise to Abram and to his descendants, to his offspring, that if we don't keep up our end, God has agreed to sacrifice himself on our behalf. Why would he do that? Well, remember what we said at the very beginning? He created us to have a relationship with us. He created us so that he could be with us. And there is no amount of good, there's no amount, we can't keep up our end. We'll never be able to keep up our end. And, and you only discover that as you try to keep up your end. If you never try to keep up your end, then it seems like really cheap kind of, a, kind of a promise. But when you try to keep up your end and do what it is that Jesus has asked you to do, you'll find it hard. And you will be afraid and you will doubt. And you will discover that you can't keep up your end. And it's at that point that you will find yourself like Abram, throwing yourself down and saying, I can't do this. Help me understand how you are going to do this. And Jesus is the response for us. Jesus is God's response to us. That he always keeps up his end that he's always been working to reestablish this relationship with you and I. And he's not asking us to come to him all cleaned up and perfect, with no doubts and with no fears. He's calling us to come as we are. But he loves us so much. He doesn't want to leave us here in this pit of doubt. He calls us to 
come out and, and ask him questions. Ask serious questions that you have. Because I believe him big enough to answer those questions. I believe him faithful enough to answer those questions. So my, my question to you is, where are you doubting? Where are you questioning God? Where are you questioning your place? Where are you questioning what the heck is God up to? And, and my, my, my encouragement to you is seek answers to that. Don't just sit with that and, and sort of say, well, I, I shouldn't, that shouldn't bother me. I believe we should seek to resolve those issues, to resolve those questions. Now, some of those things we may not see in this lifetime, right? Just like Abram never saw the land, his descendants saw the land. There are things in your life that you're seeking that you have yet to see that may come to be after you. But because of what we see in Scripture, because of what we see in these stories, we can trust God is going to keep his word even past our lifetimes. He will continue to work to establish relationship with the people that come after us. And he's calling us along with Abram and, and, the, and the people of faith to be witnesses to those that come after us. We read in Hebrews chapter 11 that therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those witnesses are described in chapter 11, People like Abram and Sarah and Abel and Noah and all of these people who followed God by faith, who didn't see Jesus, by the way, but followed God by faith. And, and we're called, they're called witnesses. Who are they witnesses to? They are witnesses to the faithfulness and love of God. They're not who we keep our eyes focused on. They tell us they're witnesses of the living God. And we're encouraged to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It is when we take a step and follow him in faith that we actually get to experience the goodness and greatness of God, the faithfulness of God. And in doing so, in trusting in him, he strengthens our faith. He perfects our faith. He, he, he works in us some way by the Holy Spirit to make us more like his son. Which sounds so crazy. It sounds so crazy that he would do like something like that in me. But that's his promise. And he's at it all the time. But the great thing about these witnesses is they're just like you and I. At some point in their life, they were just like you and I, doubting and fearful and, and not sure and failing. But the whole time, it's the same God who's faithful and merciful and just, who's walking with them. And he promises to walk with you. And what he's calling you to do is take a step and follow and trust to see if he is not faithful, to see if he will not strengthen your faith. And the great news is, is that you don't have to do that alone. <laughs> we get to do that together. Because I, sometimes I actually need somebody hold, physically holding my hand to move, 
are you doubting? Don't stay still. Explore the questions. Ask the hard questions. See if he's not faithful. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for being the one true faithful one. The one who always keeps his promise. The one who has created everything that we see and some things we've yet to see. And, and we confess to you that you have come into this world to be with us. To reveal to us the truth about God. In these stories, we are, we are shown your character. We're shown your nature. Father, you are true and just and merciful and good. But we come before you today, just like Abram, broken, sinful, doubting. We come before you today questioning. And in some areas of our life, we stop seeking answers. Father, in this time, as we confess those times to you, as we confess the sin in our lives to you, we can't help but hear the words you spoke to Abram, that you've spoken throughout history, that you continue to speak through your son, that our sins have been forgiven, that they've been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ because you are faithful. Father, thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray to you now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.